Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. My name is Josiah Kane, and I got two guests with me here this morning. Well, they're not really guests. I guess they're co-hosts. I mean, they've been around pretty much as long as I have. We've been promoted. <laughs> yeah, you're co-host now. You want How old are you? I think I've been around three times as long as you have. Just about. Not quite, but just about. Maybe about, maybe for me perhaps. Uh, How old are you? 72. So, yeah, I'm 24. So, actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. I got you beat. You're like two and a half times my <laughs> Anyway, our names yeah. are uh, Isaac Kane. Chuck Jones. And I want to encourage you right off the bat to reach out to us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com with comments, questions, concerns, ideas for episodes and things like that. Uh, we recently got an email from Emily Northrup. Um, Good friend of ours. In, yeah. Back in Ohio. Friend of ours from high school. And she says, I don't currently have an episode suggestion. Suggestion. Here's that for you. Thank you. Can, I, can I get more coffee? Yeah. She said, I don't currently have an episode suggestion. I just wanted to tell you that I love the show. It brings me back to all the conversations I heard in the basement of the Abbey. <laughs> oh, yeah. It just makes my heart happy to have access to Unitarian conversations in your podcast, as well as Mark's. Keep up the great work. Uh, just for some context, the Abbey is the name of uh, what we call my parents' house, Isaac and I's parents' house. Uh, it used to be an old church. So it still is an old church. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. They converted it, and so we called it the Abbey. Oh, yeah. So Emily uh, and a bunch of other friends would come over and hang out. And uh, that's kind of actually where this idea started, was at the Abbey, and this kinds of conversations with... Mm. It was very casual and uh, real. Antagonistic? <laughs> yeah, antagonistic. <laughs> like, conversation between friends. It usually is. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how friends be. So thanks, Emily, for writing in. Um, summer has been a little hectic for me, and between fuel and I got sick. And so episodes have been a little more sporadic than normal, but hopefully we'll get back to a routine here and uh, get things rolling on an every other week basis. So thanks for writing in, and I really encourage you guys to be like Emily set a great example for us uh, email us breakfasttheology at gmail.com she also mentioned Mark's uh, podcast the Unitarian Christian Alliance podcast UCA you can look that up too and uh, he has really he has some really good content perfect thank you very much thank you So this morning we're going to be talking about the book of James and we're starting a new series. Uh, And we're starting in chapter one at the beginning. We'll start start. at the beginning and when we get to the end we'll stop. I had a feeling you would say that. (laughs) I'm glad you did. (laughs) While you guys uh, talk, I'm going to do some math. Okay. (laughs) Just for fun? Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, the book of James, um, this is a really cool book. I, I know there's a few people at my church that this might be their favorite book, as they say. Um, so at least it's going to be fun for me to go through systematically through the book and 
pick out key themes or ideas or um, just really cool little nuggets that are in, entwined in the whole writing of James. I think one thing right away that I think about is, I know there's debate about if James that wrote this was the James, the half-brother of Jesus, or a different James. <clears throat> and you can argue either way. My thought is, if it is, in fact, uh, Jesus' half-brother that's writing this, I think that in itself speaks volumes apologetically about the trueness of Jesus and the miracles he performed. Oh, yeah. Like, imagine if one day, like, I was like, oh, by the way, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> like, God has chosen me to save the world. And, like, as a brother, you'd be like, what no, are you're you not. saying? Like, yeah, you have to be the younger brother of Jesus. <laughs> then he would accept it, you know, the big yeah. brother. Yeah, you, you would just say, no offense, but you would have to do a lot of proving to me that you were the Messiah. <laughs> and I can't. I can't prove that. Yeah. I have no intention to write it. Well, and just to continue on that thought, if this is true, um, you know, Jesus went back to his family at one point and was, you know, preaching and teaching, and they were like, yeah, who are you? You're just, you're, yeah. you're our brother, you're our son, you know. You're the carpenter. Like, quit being wacko, you know, is basically their thought. So, obviously something had to have changed and shown and proved that he really had the power of God in him. I have a feeling um, the resurrection was a big part of that. And like yeah. the, the faithfulness yeah. of Jesus' followers. Mm -hmm. I think at some point it became very evident to James. Right. I personally think it was his brother who wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it became very evident to him at some point that oh I guess my brother really is you know yeah. this guy who is here to save me and everyone else. Yeah. No. Could you imagine, by the way, being a sibling of Jesus and your parents literally telling you, why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> kind of unfair, <laughs> isn't it? That, yeah, that's Mom, that's what he keeps saying. <laughs> anyway. Or like, I know what you said, Mom, but Jesus said. <laughs> it would be such an interesting dynamic yeah. and difficult. Anyhow. So, what is, what, where does this book go to? Who's it written to? What is it, what's it about? Where are we heading? Well, he starts out by answering those questions. You don't have to read very far for that. Perfect. Mm -hmm. He's a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two distinct people. Right. Mm -hmm. Persons. I think we'll yeah. see that distinction made more than once in this chapter. Yeah. Mm. And he's writing it to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Mm -hmm. Dispersed most likely because of persecution. Yes. And also just for the spreading of the faith in general. Right. But given the context of what he's about to say, we can think that it might have been perhaps because of persecution that caused him spreading that he is addressing in his letter. Yeah. Or in his writings. I th you keep that in mind as you read through the first chapter, mm -hmm. and a lot of things kind of jump out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think he says the 12 tribes here in reference to like New Israel, as in the Christianity is yeah. now the New Israel, and the 12 tribes are representative of spiritual the church. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because that can be a, a debate in itself in this first verse. I know. Uh, <laughs> 
Josiah and I, before the podcast started, were just kind of talking back and forth about that. Of He could be quite literally talking to uh, the, the Jewish Christians yeah. who have dispersed from persecution in Israel. And there's like, you know, in the book of Acts, when the Christians in Israel like moved up north because of persecution and Paul went up there to investigate what's going on and that's when he got captivated to preach, speak to the Gentiles. It could have been that. But yeah, I think it can still apply to the new Israel, the growing Israel in the church. Mm-hmm. Speaking to all Christians abroad. Either way, I think he's talking to Christians who are under persecution. That will become yeah. clear. Yeah. And I want to say a word too about the Roman persecution yeah. of Christians that isn't I don't think that's what he's talking about mm. I think what he's talking about is a Jewish persecution mm. against the believers mm. yeah I think that's probably accurate at least I think certainly it encompasses that I, I can't see how that wouldn't make sense yeah I mean the the Jews were by far one of the major players in the persecution of Christians because they thought they were wrong yeah verse 2 he says Consider it all a joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Hmm. I'll go along with that. (laughs) Yeah. So he's talking about very clearly encountering various trials, and this isn't like someone like commenting on your Facebook post and be like, I can't believe you believe that. You know, like, this yeah, is like real persecution. It's like, yeah, serious life threatening. Coming to your house, dragging yeah. you out, yeah. throwing Losing you in jail. Yeah. 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 And yeah. knowing that this ultimately, this persecution, he says the testing your faith produces endurance and, and this, as a result of this endurance, you're going to be made perfect and complete. Like your faith is going to be solidified which as crazy as it sounds persecution usually breeds better Christians Mm. yep it it makes your faith stronger because it makes you resolve about it and when you're comfortable it's easy to be wishy-washy but when it's uncomfortable Uh, yeah yeah, I don't want to lose my comfort Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm You can say you like the ocean when you're on a cruise ship and everything's dandy and you got all your food, but if you really like the ocean, you're going to have to like it also when it's tossing and turning and then you might change your mind. In a lifeboat. Yeah. 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 That's when you're like, okay, maybe I don't like the ocean. (laughs) Maybe the ocean isn't as much (laughs) as my friend as I thought. Yeah. I like how he says, consider it or count it joy. Like, it's not naturally going to be that, but like mentally train yourself to see this as a joyous thing. That's true. Yeah. You know, because through God, trials can become something that helps us grow. Yeah, I think he's trying to educate your mind. Yeah, you talk about renewing your mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big renewing of the mind, for sure. Look at these things from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've been to the gym, lifted weights. Yeah. What's that do to you? Builds up endurance or strength. Makes you sore. Makes well, yeah. Before it makes, I guess it makes you sore before that. <laughs> Tears down muscle, breaks down muscle. Quote unquote, a trial. You know. <laughs> yeah. He goes on to say, verse five. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask 
of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Mm. Like a horse in the pasture, he's unstable. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I think it's no coincidence that he just shifts to talking about wisdom. Some people might see that as like, all right, he's been like two verses yeah. talking about like counting a joy through persecution. Now, also another thing, by the way, is, you know, if you don't have wisdom, I think he's talking about that, at least when I read it and understand it, is you have to have wisdom to know how to lean and rely on God to grow from a trial rather than just have it be something that demeans or destroys you, mm -hmm. right? Because I think scripture even says this, life just has trial, whether you're a Christian or not, hardship, pain. It uh, rains on the righteous and the wicked. Yeah, it rains on the righteous. And the sun rises and rains on the righteous and the wicked. Yeah, good things happen to good people and bad people. Bad things happen to good people and yeah. bad people. And so I think the difference is, is that when we have God with us, he can be with us in the midst. And rather than it just being a fire that consumes, it can become a fire that refines. If we have the wisdom, utterly unreliable. Oh, yeah, and you know, even today people are wondering why? Why is this happening? Yeah. Well, you're lacking wisdom. Mm. Ask, and yeah. you'll receive it. Ask in confidence, and you'll yeah. receive it. Yeah. With faith. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big part, too, is asking <clears throat> in assurance or confidence that he can give it to you. You know, it's like, why would you expect God to give you something if you are going to ask it as if you don't believe he would? Yeah. You know, or can. Right. Well, there's a story that goes with that about this woman who was reading her Bible and reading about moving mountains, and there was a mountain in her area, and so she was praying to have it moved. Mm. And she got up the next day, and it was still there, and she said, I didn't think it would happen anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I do like how he compares someone without the confidence and faith to someone who is tossed around the seat or, un or unstable mm. what kind of faith can you have what kind of power can you can work through you if you're not confident it'd be like trying to swing a hammer but you're always scared that you're going to miss the nail so you just like gingerly tap it you know you're not mm. like you're not driving it yeah. yeah right you're not going to get anything done and it's akin to hypocrisy and that's what he says is that yeah. Like, why would you say God has the power, but then you're not confident in it? Like, yeah. that, that's hip, that's hypocritical in the basis of the definition. Double-minded. I think that even gets brought to more depth and light when we uh, look a little bit in the word faith. Of course, it's going to be Greek here in the New Testament, but this was a Jewish person who had, I am sure, had the... An understanding of Hebrew, yeah. The Hebrew and Jewish... Uh, baggage, if you will, to the word faith actually meant more like trustworthy. Mm -hmm. You know, um, be like faithful to so be like worthy of trust and constant and yeah. consistent. And so, you know, if you ask with this sense of trust, you know, because 
it seems like that goes well with the opposite. Uh, you know, ask in faith without any doubting. It's like either you're going to have doubt or you're going to be trustful mm -hmm. in your ask. Because um, if you don't have trust in that, you just like put your trust every which way, as Josiah said. You just well, Paul uses the same kind of an example in Ephesians. Hmm. Well, you be firm in your faith, not like one that's tossed to and fro to by and fro. every wind of doctrine. Yeah. Right? Oh, hey, that sounds good. This is a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very often, Paul says. I came with you with the original gospel. Like, don't don't alter it. Yeah. You know, don't let people come in and introduce new things. Yeah. Stick to what you know. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> so, that goes with the previous context. How do we consider joy and persecution or suffering? How do we have? Uh, testing that actually produces endurance and gets, and thus gets us more mature and complete in our faith. Well, we have to have wisdom. And hey, yep. if you don't have it, there's a simple process. Yeah. Oftenly ask God. He's not going to make fun of you. <clears throat> yeah. The double-minded man in connection with persecution saying, okay, okay, God is sending this. i got to learn from it. Mm. But man, I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the old Baptist preacher who said, when God sends tribulation, he expects you to tribulate. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So the double-minded man is, is good to go until the heat's turned on. Mm -hmm. That sounds like what he's about to say next. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, James, anyway. Yeah, looking at verse 9. But the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position. And the rich man is the glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass. And his flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Once again, I think James is turning the tables. Uncommon wisdom. Telling, yeah. trying to get a different perspective he says listen you humble brothers you know you don't maybe amount to much as far as the world concerns wealth and power and influence and success and all that but you should glory in your high position why because you understand your place in reference to Christ yeah eternal things and you understand and your faith is proven you know it's solid Right? But then this rich man who's worrying about the pursuits of the world, he's going to pass away, he's going to fade away because those things are temporary. Yeah. Like hot grass, or grass under the hot sun, you know, without yeah. water. It fades away pretty quickly. Yeah. And you think about the context, the humble brother is the Christians who are being persecuted. Mm -hmm. People in high position or the rich man are the ones that are probably persecuting them. <laughs> right. You know, it makes me think of when Jesus says, don't be like the uh, Pharisees and hypocrites who pray to get the recognition renown of man. I tell you, they received the reward. Yep. yep. Uh, it seems like this here is like, hey, they got the reward. They have wealth in this life, but it doesn't yeah. amount to much. And that puts in mind that what Jesus said, they seek the praise of men yeah. more mm. than the praise of God. Yeah. 
You know, when you say it like that, when Jesus said it like that, it just makes it sound so silly that we ever think that the praise of man is something to chase after compared to God, you know? But we do it. We do it. We do it. <clears throat> I've done it. Yeah. As have I. And it's not a pretty thing. Yeah. I think verse 12 is supposed to be connected with, uh, let's see, that section of verses 9 through 11, I think is like, I think 12 is supposed to be connected with that as well. You know, because when the scorching heat comes, which I have to imagine is an illustration for either trials or maybe more so like God's judgment. You know, God's judgment will make all those things burn away and they will be useless. But, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, or endures, under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So, the lowly, talked about in 9 through 11, they suffer right now. And through the trial, their result is the crown of life. The rich, they go through the trial and the scorching heat, and their result is death. Fading away, fading away. It's encouragement for those who are yeah. under persecution. I'm sure he was going for. And I think there is a danger <coughs> when we're facing difficult times to put the blame on God. Hmm. Um, oh yeah. Which, which I think James is trying to proactively fight against that idea because hmm. he's talking about hard times and trials and yeah. um, certainly persecution but I, also the fight against sin Yeah, and he's getting ahead of this here in verse 13 let no one say when he is tempted I'm, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he does not tempt anyone but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. His own desires. Right. It's yep. it's within the heart of man. And then that lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, because every good gift and every perfect thing is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he has brought us forth by the word of truth, so that would be a kind of the first fruits among his creatures. Mm. I think there are two different analogies to birth here. Mm. There is the birth of sin, mm. the birth of death, which comes from sin, which comes from our, our own lust and our pursuit of those. Yeah. And then there's the birth of new life and creation, which um, I like how he says, uh, God has brought us forth. It's like almost that like bearing, you know, like you put the effort in, the, the work to bring yeah. us into yeah. uh, this salvation through mm -hmm. the word of truth. Being born again. Mm -hmm. That brings me back to, you know, for the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through, you know, Jesus Christ. Uh, our wages, what we can earn is yeah. sin. You get what you pay for it. <coughs> yeah. Okay, here, the only thing we can foster and bear is sin, and sin leads to death. You know, you know when you conceive and give birth, you know, like, there's a long period of, like, fostering a child before that moment. And so it's like, if you foster the notation long enough, it eventually will bring itself to making you sin. And if you foster and continue a life of sin, that slowly degrades you to the point of death. But, and, like, that's the only thing that we could do in our own accord. 
but God, when he does it for us as a free gift, he is fostering new life in us. It's really cool. Good point. I think scripture shows us that our Christian walk is a process. Yep. I think a lot of people have thought of, oh, you get baptized or you convert and like you should be good right away because God's all powerful. He technically, I guess, could have done it that way. But we see in scripture that God uses the whole time of your life as a process. Or just the principle in itself, I guess, is life is a process and you can use it to lead you towards death or to life. There's also, at the very beginning, we made the distinction that James is saying there's God the Father and the Lord Jesus yeah. Christ. I think yeah. there's another uh, opportunity for a distinction here where he mm -hmm. says God cannot be tempted by yeah. evil, but Jesus was tempted. Yeah. So I think there's another distinction there that God doesn't, God cannot be tempted. He doesn't tempt people, but Jesus was tempted. Yeah. And so what does that mean? You know, Jesus is God. Yeah. It's I not, think it's evidence that he's maybe not God the Father, <laughs> or not not a, not in a joking way either. Like, right? Yeah. Just like if you yeah. consider the evidence, like it makes sense that he's yeah. something else, someone else, because there's a distinction here between God yeah. and temptation, and Jesus was tempted. So how does that work? Yeah. I mean, also logically thinking it through. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be a temptation if you couldn't do it. Right, if someone said, hey, uh, fly up to the top of IHOP right now and touch the roof. I'm not actually tempted to do that because I can't do that. <laughs> right. You know, and if, if God can't sin, if God can't be tempted, then, then Jesus' a temptation wouldn't have really been a temptation. Right. Well, yeah, and I've always thought that it's not going to be a temptation unless you wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. There's some part of you that... You want to chew some tobacco? <laughs> I personally don't. Okay, so if I offered some to you, that wouldn't be a temptation. No. Right. But if you handed me a Reese cup, <laughs> I, I am much more tempted to take your, your offer. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> For sure. For sure. If I ever need to buy your vote. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think he says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren? Is he putting an end cap on his previous statement, or is he starting trying to say, like, here's an understanding yeah, statement he makes? I think it's, he's building on it. Don't be deceived. Like, understand, make sense of it? Yep. Wrap your head around this? Yeah, because the previous context is... Which means he's probably heard people say this in his time, that they're being tempted by God, right? Don't let anyone say I'm being tempted by God, right? And so later on he's saying, don't deceive yourself, you know, don't deceive that God's tempting you. Mm -hmm. And because I think when you start to internalize that, you can start to free yourself from personal responsibility. Like, oh, it's not my fault I'm being tempted. God's doing it to me. Yeah. It's like, don't deceive yourself. That's you. And then it also connects to the next thing, too. I think. Um, because he's saying that every good thing comes from God. Um, 
So yeah, don't deceive yourself. God only brings good things. The temptation you have is from you. I think it's a linking uh, yeah. part. I really love how James says the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Mm-hmm. You know, there is consistency. You know, there's there's nothing that God does that's greasy. You know? Yeah. yeah. Nothing, nothing shady. Yeah. Well, even to the point in the Old Testament, God never did anything to Israel. He didn't tell them about ahead of time. Yeah. 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 It's not like they were in sin and rebellious and idolatry and then all of a sudden God like sends the Babylonian army and he's like oh your judgment's here and they're like what they're like I didn't know this was coming it's like generations and generations yeah one of his characteristics is he's slow to anger not that he doesn't get angry the characteristic about him is that it's slow to happen he will deal with and that ain't pretty no I would rather have one of you guys mad at me than God (laughs) yeah (laughs) any day Totally I thought I want you guys mad about that. <laughs> so let's uh, continue on here. Sounds good. As you want to read uh, verses 19 through... Connected with verse 16. Yeah. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, mm. slow to speak, and slow to wrath. This is one of my favorite verses. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Mm. That's true. (laughs) That's just pretty evident. Trump should learn this. (laughs) There's more people than just Trump that should learn this. But he certainly has included. Yeah, he definitely needs it too. Yeah. There are a lot of people who don't who don't hold back their anger or wrath. Mm. No. They just light off quick fuses. There's a proverb about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The fool will speak what's on his mind. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. The one who does not speak is deemed wise. Even if you don't know what you're talking about, if you don't say anything, you can't be called a fool. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so there's a little tidbit of applicable wisdom for you guys today. Just don't talk as much. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. The uh, interesting line I heard not too long ago, somebody said, it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know enough about that to speak on it. Mm-hmm. And that's wisdom. Yeah. That's why I try to caveat things with I think or my understanding is, you know, or like I've been persuaded by this. You know, yeah. Which leaves the openness that there's other evidence or something else to consider that you, know, mm-hmm. you yeah. haven't thought about yet. So, like, same with Proverbs is every man seems like his argument is sound until he hears the other side, you know? Yeah. Like, in a court of law, the first guy to talk always sounds right. Yeah. I've watched those movies of courtroom drama and the closing arguments. Of course, it's drama. Yeah, yeah. Theater. But those... The first lawyer is always the defense. Yeah. Well, the prosecution. 
and he lays out the case and it's like the guy's guilty yeah then the defense lawyer has his chance mm-hmm. yeah no he's innocent yeah right and there's another maybe a good applicable thing to keep in mind in your day-to-day life from here on out all those who are listening including myself is no one does or says things because they think it doesn't make sense right it makes sense to them somehow. it makes sense to them somehow either it's in line with what they think or what they feel yeah yeah so when you say i don't know why they would do this it's your job to find out why <laughs> you know because they clearly have a reason for thinking that they should do or say the thing they do sometimes not very good ones but they have one nonetheless so let's uh, finish off these yes. verses here and uh, kind of start to wrap things up verse 21 therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remain the remains of wickedness in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls but prove yourselves doers of the word not merely hearers who delude themselves there's that deceiving right, right, yourselves yeah. again yeah the same idea for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror for once he has looked at himself and gone away he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was but one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty and abides by it not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man will be blessed in what he does if anything if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart deceives again yep this man's religion is worthless pure and undefiled worthless yeah just absolutely nothing it's like a dirty rat pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world and keep oneself from what? unstained by the world unstained not corrupted by the world yeah I mean that's a convicting convicting part Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the analogy of someone who just like hears the word but doesn't do it. It's like someone who looks at themselves in the mirror. It's, it's like, like a oh. seed who is scattered on the ground and sprouts up quickly and then withers. Mm. <laughs> That's a good parable. Where'd you come up with that? Yeah. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Well, I heard a good sermon once, and I think the pastor made a good point that uh, I think this is pretty pertinent to our American modern day church culture where people feel like the religious experience is going to church on Sunday and feeling guilty about yourself and then going and living your life like normal again the rest of the week. It's like being a hearer of the word and goes and goes, oh, yeah, I'm not really living how I ought to, and then leaves and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's like someone that looks at the mirror and then looks away and is like, right, just totally oblivious to what they just saw in the mirror. Well, that's the story about the preacher who preached the same sermon four weeks in a row, the same sermon. Mm. And somebody asked him, how come you keep preaching that sermon? He says, I'm going to keep preaching it till you get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did a, like, uh, how long was it? Like a seven or eight part sermon series. Just, uh, it just ended a few weeks ago. And I, every single sermon before it started, we read the same passage over and over and over and over and over again. And kept saying the same, like repeating about the context of the story over and over and over, and you know, keep saying certain points over and over and over because 
we're humans and we're a little thick skulled sometimes and it takes repetition to get something in our brain and heart and I think that's part of the point here is it doesn't really become a true belief and trust and way of life if you're not doing it it's as simple as that you know You can go through all the education or classes you want uh, to become a cop, but you don't really become a cop until you start doing the job. You know, and you can't say, "Oh, I'm a cop because I've taken like 12 years of like schooling." Like, that, doesn't, that just means you're educated, you know? right? <coughs> Which is certainly a part of it, but it's not part of it, it. and all of it. That means you could be a cop teacher. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Which is exactly what the Pharisees were. Hmm. Teachers but not doers. Yeah. Yep. And we know how Jesus felt about them. <laughs> it's not bothering. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You whitewashed tombs. You hypocrites. I find it so cutting when Jesus says, Woe to you, you hypocrites who travel across the seas to make a proselyte and then leave him to hell just like you. Mm. That Make is. him even uh, twice as much a son of hell as you are, I think, is what he says. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus wasn't always the light, happy, warm, peaceful, calm pictures that are like shown in art or whatever. Like Jesus sitting on a metal holding a lamb. It's like he sometimes was super intense. Yeah. Um, and that's a moment there. Any closing thoughts? Well, James is a very practical book. Yeah. I think we found that out today. Yeah. A lot of modern-day situations come to light. Yeah. It's much like the Old Testament wisdom books, like Proverbs. Yeah. Yeah. Just a kind of a New Testament version of that. Yeah. yeah. And that makes sense. He he was a Jew. He ha he knew the Old Testament scriptures in his brain and the things that it taught. Well, I think this is a, a good place to stop it for the day. We will see you next time to look over chapter two. Read it ahead. Yeah, read ahead of it, and uh, you'll have it in your head ready to listen. Thank you so much for listening with us or talking with us. What are you doing? You're hanging out with us this morning. Thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs> Until next time. Goodbye. See you later.